The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 4. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Lent began, of course, this past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, like a diligent Lenten Lutheran. I got up at 6 o'clock read my Lenten devotional, then prayed my morning prayers. At seven o'clock, my siblings and siblings-in-law started replying via our family text group regarding the fact that my sister-in-law did not the day before just fall on the ice and break her wrist. She fell on the ice and shattered her wrist, and she was in a great deal of pain, and surgery would be the next day. A number of my siblings and siblings-in-law immediately replied, with one variation or another of thinking of you, which poked a bit of a pet peeve, pet peeve of mine, uh, which is to say that I believe that as people of faith, we need to do better than think about people. We need to pray for people, and it doesn't hurt to tell them that we're doing so. So I prepared then to reply the correct Christian reply <laughs> to my sister-in-law's need only to be interrupted by a voice which I'm pretty sure was in fact the voice of the divine, which said to me, my, aren't we off to a great start? <laughs> You've been awake for a total of one hour of Lent and already stumbling upon both pride and presumption, not to mention spiritual boorishness. And I looked up and I said, got me. And I confessed my sin. And then I and the voice of the divine, I believe, together laughed. And it was a wonderful laugh. For it was a laugh reminding me that even Lent, indeed precisely Lent, with its legendary buffet table of potential disciplines and spiritual practices 
and moral efforts ever has and must have one outcome above all outcomes, and that is to dive us more awarely and deeply, not just into spiritual practices, nor just into the pervasive perniciousness of our sin and therefore repentant practices, but also, oh, so much more deeply into the depth of God's grace. God's grace, which in the end can, it is the only thing that can and does move the sorrowful heart of the repentant beyond sin and sorrow all the way to joy. By the way, my dear sister-in-law's surgery was Thursday. It went well. Her name is Lorraine. She would cherish your prayers. Although I'll tell you, my dear siblings and siblings of law have been and continue to be prayer warriors for her, even without my instructions. <laughs> Which takes us to the beginning of the Lenten season for not ever in need of grace, spiritual, lightweight Roger Dykstra, but rather Jesus, the one who, in the flesh, rather than need God's grace, was God's grace. His Lent began not with ashes smudged on him, but rather with the waters of his baptism dripping from him, when, you may recall, the Holy Spirit descended upon him literally, visibly, in the form of a dove, and a voice from heaven said to him, You are my son, and I love you so much. At which point, led by the Spirit, he stepped into the journey of his three-year-long earthly ministry, which in its own way would actually turn out to be a three-year-long season for him of Lent. For this entire journey, let's be clear, was a journey to the cross. That journey being a journey, he began not by, first of all, sitting on the couch for 30 or 40 minutes of devotions in the morning and prayer, but rather by, first of all, journeying into the harsh Judean wilderness where for 40 days he practiced the ancient spiritual practice of fasting, presumably drinking water. It was a 40-day fast, but eating no food. And during that time, seeking in the spiritual discipline of fasting to draw closer to God, he discovered, found, felt, drawing ever closer to him, the devil, the tempter, the Satan, the one whose voice, however it is you understand him or her or them, is always the voice of precisely not the divine. Something to note, it's easy to think that when we sometimes feel spiritually uneasy or besieged, it means we're doing something wrong, something off track, which of course can sometimes be the case. As in the cases when I'm walking a path and as I do so I discover a deepening absence of and spiritual loss of peace. In some cases I think because the Spirit of God wants me to repent, to turn around. For there's no peace for me or anyone else in the direction I'm heading. Today's text reminds us, however, that there is also the possibility that when you are feeling spiritually uneasy or even besieged or even flat out attacked, it can be because you're on the right path. 
a path of peace and healing for you and others. And the voice of not God, you see, is kind of nervous about that. And so when from the waters of his baptism, Jesus goes precisely in the direction of his call and the path that the Spirit of God is calling him to walk, for 40 days, the voice of precisely not God drew nearer and nearer to whisper whispers to him, whispers the content of which we aren't told for 39 days until finally on the 40th day, with Jesus now, who knows, either at his weakest or possibly at his strongest, because of the fasting, the voice of God, not God, being a sneaky devil, for sure, starts seasoning the conversation with Bible verses. That is to say, the voice of not God starts using the Word of God. Bible verses which are here introduced by the tempter with a so short but so key word which perversely, sneakily sets up the Bible verses not as words of promise but as words of temptation, which begin by harking back to the word of God, the affirmation, the promise that had been spoken when he was baptized, you are my son, I love you so much. And what is the word that does that changing of Bible verses and Bible promises into temptations? It is the word, if. As in, yes, I know, Jesus, I know you heard, well, you're pretty sure you heard a voice from heaven say it, but seriously, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, then you've got the power command this stone to become a loaf of bread. I mean, after all, any father worth his salt who truly loves his son would sure there, therefore surely want him to have this day his daily bread, would he not? I mean, if, if in fact truly he does love you, and if, if in fact, if truly you are his son, the spiritual attack, if you will, this temptation uses Jesus' hunger, but the target of the attack is not his stomach, right? The target is his faith. His faith in the promise that had been spoken over the waters of his baptism, the promise that he was the beloved Son of God. But now here with that word, if, a word followed then by a Bible promise of truth that truly is true. Jesus truly could have turned a, loaf, a stone into a loaf of bread. The promise now no longer is presented as something that is true because God's promises are true. But it's rather presented as something that will become true on the basis of something Jesus needs to do to make it true. The same is true, of course, my brothers and sisters in Christ, for each of us on yet another year's Lenten journey through the wilderness of this world. One of the t favorite temptations of the tempter is not what he or she or they can get you to do or not do, but rather to believe or not believe, not your actions, but your faith. Your faith in the promise that was spoken without conditions attached in the waters of your baptism. The promise that you, on the basis of nothing you've done or can do, on the basis of nothing but grace, you 
are a child of God, beloved and forgiven unto both new life here and eternal life hereafter. Oh, but then so often do come the whispers of the whisperer, whatever his or her or their source. When he or she or they start to get nervous because you actually seem to believe the promise. So he or she or they whisper, if you really are a child of God, the whisperer whispers, and then what? Well, then the variations are countless. If you really are a child of God, wouldn't, wouldn't you feel better about yourself than you do? Wouldn't you be a better person than you know you actually are, truly? Wouldn't life be going a little better than it's been going lately? Wouldn't you finally win those spiritual battles you've been fighting in some cases for as long as you can remember? I mean, that is if, if in fact, if truly, you truly are God's child. Something to note, Lent, spiritually speaking, will kill you if you use its days in this world's wilderness to prove worthy of the promised child of God. But Lent will bless you and bless others through you when wrapped ever in the baptismal grace of the Father. You, with the Spirit, seek not to earn your identity, but to live your identity. You are a child of God. Jesus, knowing who he is, responds to the tempter's Bible verses with a verse of his own, reminding himself and the tempter and us that we will never be nourished unto the fullness of new life in this world if the only hunger we invite or expect the Father to fill is the hunger of our bellies and not also the hunger of our souls. The devil then, Luke says, somehow, Luke doesn't say how, but somehow, showed Jesus in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, saying to him, and they're all mine. Uh, debatable, but he says it. They're all mine, mine to give to anyone I please, and I would be so pleased to give them to you, Jesus. If, well, just a little gesture to warrant such generosity on my part. Worship me, and it's all yours. I promise. Something to note, the promises of the tempter, unlike the promises of God, no matter how attractively they are presented or packaged, aren't worth the spit they are spit at you with. As for example, when the tempter says, all the money in the world, it's mine. Worship me. And it'll be yours. And maybe, I mean, perhaps possibly, there's some truth to that. As in cut a corner here, cut a corner there, fudge a little here, fudge a little there, step on someone here, backstab someone there, ignore a loved one here, ignore a loved one there, all of which, of course, are ways of worshiping the tempter and his ways. And if you do all that, who knows, maybe as measured by the prince and princes of this world, you will amass much by way of worldly things. But as Jesus says elsewhere, what does it profit a person to have all the money in the world but to have sold their soul? 
And maybe you've lost love and loved ones along the way too to get their hands on it. So Jesus responds here with a Bible verse of his own that is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then, says Luke, the devil somehow again took Jesus to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here to the rocks below, for it is written. And then he quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus, that beautifully, powerfully, promise-filled psalm we read together just a little earlier. Who knows, maybe he even sang the psalm to Jesus, as in, For to the angels God's given a command to guard you in all of your ways. Upon their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And at this point we are reminded that both powerful promises and seductive and destructive seductions can sometimes approach us speaking the very same words. In this case, the words of Psalm 91. For Jesus, of course, one day would, he would, in faith, throw himself down toward death. And the angels then would, not instead of death, but beyond death, raise him up rolling away stones as they did so. But the tempter here, three years out from the end of Jesus' Lenten journey, says, Jesus, if, if you are, if you truly are the one you want me and others to believe you are, the Son of God, for God's sake, then what is true for all time is true here and now as well. So why wait? Why suffer? Why watch the world suffer any longer? Prove what God sent you here to prove, here and now, and save the world, Jesus. The tempter here, of course, is telling Jesus he can go for the win by sinking a full court shot right here at the beginning of the game rather than playing the whole game as though what is good in the timing of God is a goodness whose timing we can co-opt here and now, and in doing so, avoid suffering. But Jesus, not yielding to temptation, but rather seemingly strengthened by it, says it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. As in his call, and our call too, would we seek to follow him, is not, though it is tempting, a call from the world and its suffering for the sake of the love we are loved with. His call and our call too, as we follow him, is a call into the world to lift up the suffering for the sake of the love of God that all are loved with. By the way, if, if you truly are a follower of Jesus, you like Jesus, I mean if, if you take this following him thing truly 
seriously. We'll win. Every round of temptation with the tempter, just like Jesus did, right? I mean, if you truly are a child of God. Oh my goodness, it is to laugh, right? For Jesus and Jesus only is the one who wins the victory. We are among the graced. He wins the victory for. Amen.